You're listening to The Razor's Edge, an investing podcast. Your hosts are Akram's Razor, an investor, trader, short seller, and deep dive researcher for the last two decades plus, and me, Daniel Schwartzman, who's worked in investing media the last decade while managing my own stocks. We break down investing themes or ideas and speak with expert guests to get a wider understanding of a given topic. To get episodes of The Razor's Edge, Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you have a chance, or share this show with a friend. Reach us on Twitter at at Daniel Shortman or at Akram's Razor. You can subscribe to Akram's The Razor's Edge newsletter at the-razors-edge.ghost.io. The link is in Akram's Twitter profile. Here's our disclosure. The views discussed belong to either Akram or me, respectively, or to our guests when we have them. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice of any sort. We'll disclose any positions and any stocks discussed in the introduction to a given episode. So we were just about to bust out the markets and turmoil sound effects for this week's episode of The Razor's Edge to brace for the second bear market in our history as a podcast. Then the market rallied on Friday and everything is copacetic. I'm kidding. We've still got a very interesting market environment, and there's a lot to talk about. So on Sunday, the 22nd of May, Akram and I broke down some of it. We started with a review of the growth stock sector carnage and why, just maybe, in certain names, we're closer to the bottom than the top, at least for now. We talked parallels to .com, the two Zooms, and the peer pressure a ton of investors and even billionaires have succumbed to in the last two years. That'll be the jumping off for the second part of this week's episode, which will come out tomorrow or Wednesday and cover the Twitter saga. We wanted to get this part out early with Zoom's earnings due out after the close today, Monday the 23rd. For disclosures, Akram is long Zoom, Twitter, and Boeing. I am long Dropbox and Berkshire Hathaway. Might consider dipping into the Twitter merger arb, though I don't really want to. Okay, let's get to it. Akram, good morning. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? <laughs> Good. We're, we're in, a, as we were saying, interesting times. Interesting times in this market right now. Friday, we're recording this on Sunday, May 22nd. Friday afternoon, the market's dipped. The S&P 500 officially dipped into what is considered a bear market, 20% below its all-time high, which was January 4th, basically. They pulled out so that they closed above that level, but still bear market is sort of on everybody's minds. I don't, the last two times we had a bear market, we had the COVID was its own story in March, 2020 and the sell-off in the Q4 2018, which bottomed just before bear market and then sort of returned to the 2010s rally. Um, Yeah, a lot going on right now. I mean, any before we've got a few specific things that we want to pick up on, but any just sort of high level opinions, thoughts on the where we are right now in the market? I mean, you know, the last week or so, uh, I've been starting to think that the growth stuff uh, maybe finally washed out and we've moved on. Last week seemed to be a retail Armageddon. <laughs> But then again, I've thought that a few times recently in terms of just that, like, what's the word that we'd have uh, more of a stable environment, like not necessarily a bottom, but that we'd like see it. We would stop seeing 20% freaking moves every other day, right? Uh, And the whipsaw. I mean, there was like kind of that false kind of rally. which, I mean, with the benefit of hindsight, like, you know, it, it actually kind of hurts you when you're steering away from the really high multiple stuff. Uh, because, like, you start to think maybe the uh, the lower multiple, more sensible things uh, are have stabilized slash bottomed. And, I mean... That really can't happen when you got when you still have uh, you know Cloudflare at thirty five times sales, right? So, I mean, like that's kind of what we've gone through recently. Uh, you did have 
I mean, uh, Daniel, who's been way more active trading, uh, you know, he did hit me up the 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 day after Upstart dropped, uh, and he was like, you know, should buy some Splunks and Exxon. I was like, you know, go. I was like, if you really want to trade here, go buy Upstart and Affirm. You know, then you look two days later, uh, you know, they pretty much doubled. <laughs> it's like call it like took like three or four trading sessions and then you come back and you look by friday you know someone downgrades upstart and it's around 20 percent uh you still don't have a stock i guess it's up what 75 percent off where it traded about a week ago uh but like just wild action i guess you're kind of at that uh you know you that point where you're kind of looking for have these things really just totally washed out like essentially has everyone really degrossed uh are the sellers really gone right so like you can have these wild moves like just on a, on any incremental uptick in people who who want to buy whether they're fishing for a bottom or uh they have fresh capital uh they were on an island with uh uh, Tom Hanks <laughs> just got back <laughs> uh, and decided they're going to be uh, investing in disruptive innovation. <laughs> Who knows? But yeah, I mean, it, it, like my instincts tell me we're kind of washed out. Like I've seen some signs of it. There was a couple of reports where there was C limited, uh, D local. Uh, and then some of the price action and the fintechs, you know, and then like, you know, stocks like Twilio and Zoom and whatever, not really making uh, new lows. I mean, it's, the pressure has really kind of been concentrated in that, at least in software growth now, like the last man standing types, right? They even had, I mean, there was a short report on uh, Zoom Info. Last Thursday, which uh, from uh, Bear Cave, Edwin Dorsey. And I mean, look, by the way, like sensible arguments. Uh, he's done good work. So not to criticize him, but it just had a it had a it had a feeling like if you're if you're someone who shorted, you know, over the years of like you're kind of going after that like last stock in a sector that has been repeatedly battered with a thesis that it's kind of well it's kind of well established right like you're not going to get uh an immediate event type play out on the privacy concerns and uh you know uh, aggressive or whatever you want to call it just tip standard really billing practices of a data-driven business so, so it, it, the implication of Zoom Info being the last man standing on a relative basis, you're saying... I mean, it's got a high sales multiple, but I mean, it has really high EBITDA margins, right? So like, it's a type of thing where you, you would see someone be like, oh, if you're like screening backwards into them, like, what, what would I do a short report on here? <laughs> you know, it does kind of stick out there uh, at a top level. And it's all, I mean, like from, from its IPO, it's had these, I mean, like it's had the concerns around the privacy nature of the business. I mean, you remember we had uh, Sasbro on here and he, his quote, which is always stuck in my head since the beginning of COVID is this shit should be illegal. Right. I mean, and there is a feeling to that with respect to the information that they're able to provide clients. But I mean, it's also like what makes it really good for sales reps. So, I mean, it's kind of a core element of the model. So like, unless like you really have uh, a view that they're about to get really screwed, uh, you know, in some sort of legal case uh, in some state, right? Or some, uh, let's call it government change in regulations that makes it more difficult to do what they do. Uh, it's not something you're going to get super excited about today. Put it that way. Like the re the the reason to the reason to pick on it and highlight these things now, which is like, and remember, some stuff is just obvious, 
right? So like, you know, it's always a risk and it doesn't matter till it does. So there is an element there. And if you put that out there, people in a tape like this are much more likely to pay attention than, you know, in the tape that we've had for, you know, 2020-2021 so i can see that element of it but it's not like it's a stock that went crazy uh during covid like it was a it kind of always had that depressed relative earnings uh multiple based on the fact that that it is a database and uh and it does it does carry some of that risk so like it, it was like a late bloomer in covid with respect to uh, stock price performance. And it just kind of unwound that. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm totally looking at this from a sentiment angle, right? I mean, I've been there and I mean, you know, I, I did a short thesis on ultimate in 2016, you know, essentially based on the fact that it just had the highest multiple left of uh, SAS names. And I was just like, what, how can this trade at a higher EV to sales and uh, workday at service now? Right. And that was rock bottom. Right. So on a relative standpoint, if you were short it over the next 12 months, it was the worst performer. But on an absolute standpoint, you lost money, right? Because everything went up. Now I was I was long Viva and Salesforce at the time. And I I I'd emphasize the relative nature of it. When you write a short thesis, like you do want to make a fundamental argument, right? And there were some fundamental things that I was kind of focused on there that you, I guess, equate to like, how is this trading at a higher EV sales multiple than Workday, right? <laughs> or, <laughs> or ServiceNow. And that was kind of like what stood out at the time. Uh, but that was like literally, I think, I think I published it the same day or day after uh, the LinkedIn, which I had been short. And Tablio crash, uh, which which I think was on a Friday. Uh, so like, I mean, it's it's just something that I, I like that caught my eye, right? Like, there's a couple little things, like you know, people were like tweeting, you know, how much is C gonna drop, right? And that's at you know 65, you know, when I, when in November when I was like, oh, I'm shorting some C, <laughs> don't, don't hate me. <laughs> uh, People were like, you're out of your mind, right? At 340. And then there was people who were like, you wouldn't even survive this. It went to 375 first 10 days before it dropped. And you're like, all right, bro. And, you know, trade does move 60% against me in five days. <laughs> like 10, 10 15%, uh, you know, on the upside was what you kind of have been thinking about. But again, like, I, I didn't think it would fall this far. Otherwise, that would that probably would have been like a hundred x option trade. Uh, this far, that fast. So, when we're talking about the growth, you know, these growth names, you're sort of one way to listen to all of what you said is to say, okay, you're sort of saying we're at a bottom. I mean, I know you said at the beginning a stable area, but sort of there's a bottom implied here, not necessarily like to like with the 2016 example, but what are you, I guess there's still, when I, I just screened software stocks, you still have Datadog is up there, uh, CrowdStrike. You have a few other names that are still quite high, like you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, there's like, there's the other extreme of this. I had commented on, uh, what's his name? The guy, uh, Austin, who's like, he, he literally picked like the five names of the highest multiples. You know, I've got my, like, my, my growth master list. Uh, you know, which is SaaS, really SaaS master list. I, I separate the fintechs from it, but it's like over a hundred names. And there's like, you know, on a trailing EB to sales, like six or seven, that are still over 20, right? And I think like he picked all of them uh, and was like, these things are trading like they're going to zero. And it's like, look, no, they're not, <laughs> right? I mean, I mean we've, we've discussed this so many times. I feel like a broken record you know, talking about the same thing over and over again, but like, you know, Zoom end of 19 was like 17 and a half times forward, right? Uh, low, low 20s uh, trailing. 
And that was the most expensive at the time, right? So, and we know how that worked out. And like part of it is, of course, you know, the growth multiple uh, uh, completely went away because, you know, growth has come down to 10%, right? So you just got, I mean, you essentially got eviscerated by the multiple contraction, despite the business, you know, going from uh, 600 million to 4 billion, or close to four and a half billion now, right? So like, that's what, go, like, that's 20, that's 25 times sales working against you in, in three years, right? So when you have these guys be like, well, but these are all growing 50%, 60%, and they're going to do it for years to come. And it's like, yeah, without, I mean, like, look, <laughs> if that continues, right, and you pay 20 times sales, right, like, you should be compounding, you know, 15 to 20% annually. And if there's ever a deviation in that, uh, you will be eviscerated, right? That's just it. It's like, that, that's... That's the compounding equation at, at that level, right? So what my point was, you're just not stealing anything, right? Like the idea that the market is still applying a very rich premium to the confidence it has uh, in those businesses having prolonged uh, hyper growth, right? And like, I mean, the whole, the whole takeaway from what just happened is that prolonged hyper growth uh, is is a, is a risk reward equation in terms of what you pay, right? And like we've had this kind of ceiling, and there's been points in times where it's way lower. Of course, that was way earlier in the cycle. And oh, by the way, like that was a good time to be long, right? Because it was way earlier in the cycle, and there was less com competition, and it was very clear that you would be, uh, uh, if you were a bull, you know, an outperformer. And your entry cost ends up being lower. So the compounding equation is just better, right? Like you're buying something at 10 times sales that did you know triple digit growth, right? And that works its way down into you know the 30s over a decade. Uh, you end up, you know, with the uh, 10x return uh, over eight years and, and and potentially 20x at one point in time, right? Like you got to think about it from like a a rubber band point where like if you buy in there like you you do have the prospect of the multiple expansion slash euphoria period ahead of you which you can in theory exit at right as it becomes more and more crowded like that's the advantage of investing in something that nobody's interested in presently or or you perceive it to be that way relatively speaking so I think that's kind of like the takeaway. Like there's a bunch of these names where uh, like people are arguing that they seem like they're trading like because they go down every day. But it's like, you really have it. Like it's amazing, you know, how much these names surged, right? In a very short time period uh, because you, you're still dealing with, oh, I'm paying 25 times revenue. And at some point in the next, three years or four years, something comes up, right? Like some competitor gains on them or uh, turns out uh, they could get in displaced or just when the TAM assumptions ended up being wrong, right? Uh, you're gonna lose <laughs> badly, right? Like you're gonna end up with a five-time sales stock, right? And that's 75 you know, what do you want to call it from five times sales, 80% contraction in the multiple uh, will more than more than wipe out, you know, your gains of a several year. And like you've seen the, the equation with, uh, with Zoom in like a 6X in revenue, right? In three years, you know, brought you back to the starting line with 10% revenue growth. And that's that's from that, that's from twenty five to five, right? So, like, you, you you essentially went nowhere. So, like, is your company going to like no one's no one's arguing any of those companies are going to six x in three years, right? At the same time, I don't think anyone's also arguing 
I mean, it's impossible to argue because it's not visible that something that is presently at 50%, you know, is going to be at 10%. And it's like, well, yeah, but Zoom got crushed by teens. It's like, look, that wasn't the debate <laughs> in November, December of, uh, of 2019. Nobody was thinking that. Like, nobody was viewing that as a significant uh, uh, risk slash headwind down the road. And I mean, those things kind of, you know, they materialize at certain scales. Markets, some of these markets are obviously huge, right? So everyone's like, you know, Teams is destroying, but like the market's big enough for more, for multiple players. I mean, look at the, look at UCAS, look at Context Center, look at like, I mean, yes, uh, from a public market standpoint, you know, you want something that ends up, like everybody wants to think they could end up with something that, you know, is like Her a Google play. or Amazon. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but like, that just like, for most of these markets, it doesn't happen, <laughs> you know? Like 30% market share ends up being a huge win. So I want to, I want to, let's use Zoom because I, I know you've talked a little bit about, you've opened a position there. And I, what I want to sort of back out of all this, is you sort of, you laid out the idea of essentially relative sentiment shifts is one part of this equation where now that everybody, there's a sense of people being down on the sector, you, a lot of the fluff has come out. And so now the marginal improvement in Zoom says that they now see a little bit more upside than they forecast on their previous earnings call. And all of a sudden the bottom's already sort of set is one part of the story, I guess. The other part is obviously the compression of, the multiple compression. I'm, you know, I, the, the screen I just ran it has that 6.5 TTM. So yeah, probably five times sales going forward. That's the other part of the story. But even lower, what are you talking about, dude? They have, you know, they'll probably have about six billion in cash as of the end of this quarter. So that's, I'm looking uh, at price to sales, and I haven't yeah. done. Yeah, that's so, so. It's like it's like 4.8 times trailing enterprise value to sales. Okay, so so it's yeah, which is you know this is. As I like to think of it in my portfolio, Dropbox levels. That's really yeah. tra trash. It's like, it's like a, a, call it 20 times trailing earnings, a higher on a forward because they're, you know, they're investing a little bit more of that margin and because some of that margin is being eroded uh, by the fact that they have, uh, they have a shrinking, they have churn, put it that way, in the prosumer side. Well, and which, so that's, is, that, which is the highest margin. The question I wanted to sort of point to then is then on the one hand, there's this sentiment and shifting multiples. On the other hand, there are all the challenges that we've talked about over the past two years in terms of the COVID cliff. You mentioned teams, whatever else, like those are still there. So how do you, as you sort of think about Zoom, is it is this all just the sentiment went too far one way or do you see that there's like, some operating momentum that they can start to show at this point. So it, look, I shorted Cloudflare ahead of its earnings, right? This quarter. I didn't even read the earning report, right? And drop like 30%. Like and by the way, it didn't like need you to you know, it was like five or six initially after hours. But my just was like, this is it's like I didn't care what they're gonna say, right? Like there was nothing in that report. That was relevant. I would say with the companies reporting this week, because the multiple had made it irrelevant, right? And I mean, I wish I'd taken a bigger position. And I mean, I wish I hadn't covered that thing the first time I shorted it, right? Like, like I was happy to close it around 120, 130, right? Then you're shorting it at 90, uh, when just being like <laughs> shooting fish in a barrel type of mindset, right? Uh, and that's very rare, you know, for the most favored companies. It's like, you know, Datadog, Snowflake, that MDB. Uh, like, typically, it's like, you're going to get your face ripped off, right? Like, you know, just what? What? Oh, my God, look at the print. Uh, this thing will be up 25% tomorrow. Uh, you just, they're so, they, what's gone on in the market has made them so divorced from what the companies are telling you about the business, right? It's just so skewed to the downside. Everyone expects like, you know, a slight acceleration, the same trends, uh, all the positive reports on the, the op op top line operating metrics with the same, you know, uh, bottom line uh, uh, narrative that has been growth tech, right? Like you're burning some cash, 
for, for, for most of these or, you know, Datadog, fine. No, Snowflake, huge stock comp, uh, you know, slight free cash flow positive or so. But it, like right in the right in the middle. No, not like a balanced profitability model yet. And the group that's reporting this week and for the next couple of weeks. So, so you've got like, let's, you've got Zoom, Workday, Box, Splunk, Nutanix uh, this week, right? You also have Snowflake in there. And I don't know who else. Uh, but then after that, you'll have DocuSign, uh, MongoDB, uh, uh, and, a, and a few others, but largely skewed to, I mean, remove MongoDB and Snowflake. Uh, oh, you also have Zscaler. But like, take those three out. Like, I'd say 70% of like the next, you know, 10 SaaS companies to report have like, you know, normalized uh, EV to sales multiples. Okay. And some of them on definitely on the very low end of the range. And they've been the non sexy SaaS crowd. And more importantly, there's a few of them in there like Zoom and DocuSign, well, the market's been really well conditioned to, like, they've been slowing, right? I mean, in DocuSign's case, they've missed twice on billings, right? Uh, That's like what they've done the last two quarters. In Zoom's case, we know that for, you know, essentially the, the last three quarters sequentially, the, what they're now classifying as the online business uh, has been shrinking right on an ARR basis so you've uh, you know you're like three four percent smaller uh than you were a couple quarters ago and it's shifting more towards and that's why they they did that last quarter you know and like i wrote that whole the two zooms piece uh you got two very different growth arcs right and what is their enterprise business uh particularly the ucas i mean zoom phone you know, at an enterprise customer is on average a larger revenue opportunity in each one of those customers than Zoom meetings and rooms combined, right? Like if you've seen uh, what they've disclosed there where where they get a customer all in on, on anything, uh, like Zoom phone is, is turning out to be like, a, you know, anywhere between 125% to uh, a 200% revenue opportunity relative to what their meeting slash rooms footprint is. So like we're coming into this quarter now where you you've kind of seen this and the stock has just, you know, it's a, it's a hair off the lowest levels and you have a good sense of the valuation now, right? Like we people are talking get, you know, EV to free cash flow, EV EBITDA. Uh, not, not even EV sales, even though like you can sit and you can look where it's at. And I mean, for me in those names, they're essentially set up where just no more, be- no more incrementally negative news, put it that way, right? And I don't even say negative, but like you're actually at a point where, which is what we've not been at, right? That you can link potential stock price performance, right, to the actual news that comes out of earnings. Okay, that's been broken, you know? I mean, there's been examples where like a company reports like, you know, January, February, March or whatever, uh, in in growth tech slash software and goes up 30% the next day. Well, like those have been completely, like, I mean, that was just wrong, right? Put it that way. For, for these high high multiple names, because it's like you would read these reports and you'd be like, well, whatever, same story, you know, it's like no different. Like I don't care if they accelerated three percent or they beat by, you know, five percent, you know, when they're trading at forty five times sales, right? So like uh, the entire valuation is in the almost guaranteed confidence that that is sustained for five years, which is just, I mean, historically speaking, it doesn't work. And historically speaking, stocks don't trade that way, right? Because no one ultimately has that confidence. And like, that goes back to the whole bubble and like, you know, the stuff we were talking about last year, which has more than played itself out, right? I mean, 
I thought three to six months major drawdown, but I didn't think like everything falls, you know, 85% <laughs> and that it spreads. I mean, you knew it would spread, but that it spreads across the board, even into the, the blue chip tiers. Right. And we end up with, you know, half the multiple in, uh, in the value, the Garpy tech stuff. Right. But that's what I'm kind of looking for here. Like, I'm like, if they don't have any, if they guided you very accurately and like, there's no noise on the online business. Okay. What we want to call prosumer slash mix. Like, if that's just kind of as expected, which is expected to be, you know, flat essentially on the year, and there isn't much of a change there, the stock is going to go up. Okay. Like, that's just my view here. Like, I think this stock can work its way back to $120. Now, I'm not sitting here thinking it doesn't knee jerk. Uh, I do think with the volatility in this market, there's, you know, possibility of swings that way. But like, you actually can key in on the quarter, put it that way. That's an important thing. You can key in on the DocuSign quarter, right? You can start keying in a, a lot more on the quarters because you've kind of gotten to a point where like, yeah, they will matter more. And by the way, it's an entirely strong possibility that by year end, there is, you know, a more broader slowdown uh, in a lot of software, right? Like these companies largely are seat driven. There's a lot of potential headwinds, right? And like, you just started layoffs, right? Right. Uh, uh, you're seeing companies, you know, Coinbase, Twitter, et cetera, uh, calling out that they want to spend less on uh, public cloud, right? Infrastructure, like they're highlighting that and saying, uh, like, that's a focus for them. So, like, there is that out there. But one, we've kind of discounted, uh, you know, a, a slowdown in everything, right? Relative to where things were. And then two, I don't think that where we are at in this exact point in time, that, that that's as important, right? Like you need to be a business that just like, you know, completely comes out in shocks uh, with the slowdown, like we've seen in retail, right? Like target margins missing by 500 basis points. Okay. So that's, that's the type of stuff. The, the, the point there, just the last, like on the growth point is you've talked a lot about how, in you know, 01, you don't really see the hit until I think you said Q3. I think you always talk about the John Chambers Cisco earnings calls. And I'm just curious if you're if if I had to, I wasn't an investor. I mean, 2000, 2000, 2001 went like internet, uh uh telco equipment, right? And then ended with enterprise software, right? As the, so like as the sectors that fell off, you mean? Yeah, like the, so like March of 2000 is like, you know, the crappiest and like the most recent IPOs and uh, companies with, you know, uh, that had just gone public and uh, unproven business models or business models that were just too early, you know, like an Akamai or something, right? They weren't there yet. And uh, then there was a strong rebound in the summer, right? In the blue chips. So like storage. Uh, and networking, so like Cisco, Dell, Juniper, or EMC, that stuff did well. And Oracle, Siebel, et cetera, you know, continued to put up nice numbers uh, into 01, right? Like you didn't get warnings there till uh, the spring of 2001. So like it was kind of rolling, right? Like you actually made new highs, in fiber optic stocks and some semiconductor names and some networking names in the fall of 2000, you know, six months after the initial plunge in the NASDAQ, right? So like it was very distributed, went on for a while. There was an election that got in the way of things that was like hanging. Uh, then there was like a rally, relief rally once, you know, the uh, hanging Chad uh, issue was resolved Detached. by the Supreme Court. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then there was just another down leg, right? Like more clear evidence of, uh, 
the let's call it all the companies that went bust and like dot com bust like you started to see the chain link effects in, in the broader tech space and obviously the tech space then being much more sensitive right so because it's essentially a vendor like right into them where it was not as deep of a vendor in let's say fortune 500 yet uh i mean it was a big deal for them but the exposure to dot bust in the, in the whole chain was was a laggard right and we're going to get an idea of what that plays out now right like that's public cloud that's aws for startups uh that seats you know like you know who's looking at their superhuman or calendly and being like i can live right is there churn like uh, there and who's like do i need to cancel my zoom because uh I barely need to pay, I barely use it and I'm paying for Microsoft Teams, right? That whole element, the same shit that's gone on in streaming, like we saw, I don't know if you read the information stuff about Netflix last week and the studies around what happened recently with who's canceling, are they going other places? Uh, the age of the, of, of the accounts that are canceling, like, you know, like digging into their elevated churn, right? In this environment. So, like that's that's where I say when you look at it today, uh, it was much more spread out, and like you had a w- way wider distribution distribution of stock price performance. You didn't have like a straight line down, which is what what's happened recently, you know, in pretty much everything. So, I mean, that's really been the dynamic. Got it. Okay. And then okay. they had and then they had nine eleven afterwards, right? Like a lot of these management teams were banking on like, you know, Cisco, for example, was like, we'll be fine by like fall. And uh, we expect things to improve. And then, you know, you had a whole like a whole nother disruption to the economy that like really caused people in large enterprises to start thinking about spending and layoffs and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's interesting that sort of, the echoes, because as you say that, obviously, people listening can think about what we've got going on with inflation with Russia, Ukraine as a similar sort of from a market perspective dynamic. And and yet, with all of these Zooms, DocuSigns, and so on, they've Zoom, as I think you've pointed out, hasn't guided down or hasn't missed its number or anything. DocuSign had to guide down a couple of times, but it was more out of hyper growth and into more moderated growth. And so it just, yeah, as, as the real world economy starts Zoom's, to get hit. Zoom's, Zoom's really been the worst in the sense that it's been a soft landing uh, as far as like how they've managed it and communicated it. Like you haven't had that management team show up and be like, we don't know what's going on, you know, but, or we planned this way and we were shocked. Right. Right. Uh, missed, missed like that hasn't happened. And like they've actually, like, you know, from a criticism of like how Twilio should communicate things and others, like Zoom management's kind of been almost like outside of doing a deal when their stock price was super elevated, right? And there's, you know, that cuts both ways. You can argue that that business was experiencing such astronomical growth, right? That like just executing upon that as it's happening you know, makes it very difficult to think, oh, I need to go buy something right now, right? Like it's a, there's a bandwidth constraint element to being, you know, uh, that much of a beneficiary. So outside of that, they've managed it well, right? Like I'd say they've communicated pretty clearly uh, and they just did the whole split to give you the color, which is what like we've been talking about, you know? So like, I mean, I, I essentially went in the direction of that there's two companies here, right? There's like a Dropbox uh, slash, you know, Windows uh, consumer, uh, sorry, office consumer mix, right? And then there's this like enterprise, enterprise slash, you know, education, uh, uh, UCAS company. And like they ended up last quarter telling you that this is how to think about our business, right? So like they want to separate the two and they've given you characteristics about the two. High margin, cash flow, nice, 
right? Uh, early days penetration were executing. Like the Zoom phone numbers are pretty impressive, right? I mean, they're adding seats at a, at a very rapid clip. Like that, that's a market essentially where, you know, Ring Central MVP and like that's what they're going after. That's, a, you know, the cloud PBX uh, and the attempts of the legacy players like Avaya who partnered with the likes of Ring Central, you know, uh, like to retain the transition from uh, what was uh, the old UC market right? Uh, the legacy you see market the last 20 years. And that's, by the way, that's what Arc has focused on. Like Kathy talks about it when she talks about the company, right? He's like, once in whatever, you're replacing stuff that was put in in the early 90s. And it's a huge, huge replacement cycle. And it is, right? But like, it's also one that, like, it's not easy. Uh, it's fragmented. I mean, there's a lot of competitors. Uh, there's there's Microsoft Teams in there, which you compete with, you know, on a meetings basis. So they've got their, let's call it, a, you know, inertia that they can bring to any partner, right? Like if you're on an E1 or E3 uh, Teams license, that's something that, you know, Ring Central and others are looking to sell into, right? For the, uh, uh, for the phone slash whatever, your uh, cloud PBX. And Microsoft's going to be, a, you know, a partner there because they're a competitor to Zoom meetings, right? So you like it's it's not the easiest thing ever, but I mean they have been putting up triple digit growth there. Uh, I mean, probably over three million Zoom phone seats already, and it's a huge market. And they actually have a massive install base to sell into, right? So whatever it is that they have, 500,000 plus uh, customers, you know, with over 10 employees, uh, that's uh, the cross-sell opportunity is there for them. And I, I think they put it up at Zoomtopia, like that they're 4% penetrated uh, on, on, a, on uh, a customer base into the, uh, the, the what they classify now as an enterprise TAM with Zoom phone. So I think that's a very important metric. Zoom phone is going to be the big deal, right, for the valuation of this business going forward. Well, it's interesting the way you set it up just is sort of the two parallels I'm hearing in my head are however you end I don't, I don't know exactly where Roku's trading right now, but however you think of those sort of give the hardware, hardware away cheap to get the foot in the door for the software or the advertising, whatever, for a Roku or Peloton is one. And also Twilio, where you've made the point that there's the legacy 50% gross margin business, and then they're trying to upscale with segment and whatever other acquisitions to try to get a higher gross margin. It's that sort of implicit in what Zoom, how you're framing Zoom's business is sort of, they've gotten their foot in the door. They have this huge um, profitable household brand that everybody understands. And I think generally, you know, back at the beginning of the pandemic, we, I think we talked about their exposure to being in China, what headwinds they might face politically or whatever, but like, they had some security issues to work out, but they generally the product still has held up pretty well. And so now they have that and then they can get into, like you said, the sort of enterprise business, which is, which also more, you know, did not grow at the scale that the others did in the first year of the pandemic, but um, is growing much nicer at this point than the other two. I mean, you can, it's, it, it's really easy. You think about it in terms of Zoom meetings, right, uh, is going to grow far slower. Okay, because in in the prosumer slash small business, uh, it grew 10x, right? And it has competitive, it's got churn, right? I mean, just natural that people uh, will cancel as they return to the office and as they need it less and as they use free, free alternatives and, you know, as maybe Microsoft pulls some of them in uh, with Teams, okay, uh, from a pricing standpoint because like they, they do charge half the price for the entire office suite that Zoom's charging, right? 
so like that's going on there. Then the the core business, what Zoom was before, like let's call it the better version of WebEx, right? Uh, that's on change, right? Like for universities, uh, uh, government organizations, uh, large enterprises, like there's still a, like they do that better than anybody else, right? If you want to do, uh, if you want to do, you know, video conferencing, essentially speaking, right? And education management and stuff like this, and just the things that uh, you can do online. Uh, that's a no-brainer. I'm like that business also really benefited, right? Uh, from from COVID in terms of pull forward. Okay. Then there is Zoom Phone, which is this huge large TAN. Uh, if you think about it in terms of anybody on a on an old legacy hardware phone system, uh, and that business right now is going triple digits. Okay. So like you put that business and the meetings business in enterprise together. Right. And like, that's something that they're telling you is going to grow about 20%. Right. So like you can get the idea that like even presently the, the, the zoom meeting zoom rooms, right. Has had significant pull forward. Like, you're you're talking about, you know, flattish in prosumer to slightly negative, uh, and you're hoping that's what that business looks like going forward, right? Like I think they broke it out in in, in at the analyst day that 17% of revenue in Q2 was single license, right? Like a Gmail, one user. So like that's your consumer business, right? I'm going to guess that business is like 13, 14% now. Okay. So like if, if, if you believe that business holds on, right. Like the, in that range, like that's where you, you, you would find some, uh, the, the headwinds turn into tailwinds, right. As you come out of COVID, because you will start to grow more closely, uh, with the organic growth uh, in the enterprise business. And like, I think that's kind of the challenge here. And like, that's where like you're kind of fishing on this multiple wise. Uh, and like they're, they have, a, they've done pretty well internationally. So I think they can actually maybe like after this little bump, like still somewhat genuinely grow that business. Uh, at least maybe low single digits, you know? And like, I, I have doubts on pricing. So like, I don't know, like, I don't really think they can raise pricing. Uh, anytime soon, unless Microsoft Office gets a little bit more expensive, right? Uh, and maybe enhancing that suite, like it's it's got to get a little bit better for you to have a, a view that that does that does more. But like, yeah, I mean, like you're essentially buying the UCAS, right? Like that's the growth story you're buying right now. Which is ironic, right? But like that's kind of what it's turned into is they, they need to stay very well at meetings, uh, very good, whatever you want to call it, uh, and re retain what they have. And like the valuation is as such that if that is what, like if they retain, okay, you should be able to compound. So that's where you're at, really. It, and that's, what, that's where it, may, it becomes from an investor standpoint for the next couple of quarters interesting. because evidence of that will send the stock higher, right? You're essentially trying to triangulate like- uh, How much? What the, yeah, where the online business is uh, bottoms, okay? I mean, it's shrunk now for I think three straight quarters, okay? It's gonna have some volatility to it. Uh, remember, they've moved. They've, they've been working on moving a decent amount of that, you know, also to annual contracts, right? Like something Netflix, for, for example, would have benefited from <laughs> from streaming. Uh, so there's always going to be a group of people who uh, who forget about it, are barely using it, and are paying, right? Uh, once you move it a, towards an towards an annual, 
So, I mean, like, that's just your, your pure churn, churn advantage that we've seen that with Dropbox as well. Right. I mean, like we discussed this in 19 with Dropbox 2.0 and the examples of, uh, them uh, the, 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 like the process that you go through with cancellation online and then and then like they prompt you for a discount and they'll switch you if you're on a monthly to an annual at a certain rate like mm. you know the things that they're willing to do there uh, like subscription uh, yeah subscription because yeah, with the price hike and everything else and like you know some people will come out and complain like this is outrageous right the usual shit you deal with in, in, in subscription I mean, like by the way i mean at the end of the day you know for those who get into that subscription is not going to be as satisfactory as a customer experience when like you're literally trying, trying to reduce churn. Right. I mean, there's no denying that there's going to be a lot of people who are annoyed by it, but that's just the nature of the game. Like try canceling a wall street journal. Parents, oh, yeah. oh yeah. Right. Like, I mean, Jesus Christ. The New York times where, for that matter. Where, yeah. Where, where I wasn't using it for like a year and you're just like, you can't even do it online. They make it call <laughs> you know? somebody. Yeah, just like and like this, uh, and that works out for them. That's free money. Well, because yeah, I mean, you call them. They they say, "Why don't you stick around?" I mean, I definitely stuck around with the journal once because they gave me half off. I said, "Okay, screw it." But, yeah, that's exactly what they do. Yeah, but even until you get to that point, there's that point where you try to do it online, and then you just don't bother calling today, and you forget about it. So yeah. like I don't I don't know how many people like who are on on the verge of canceling who run into that wall that they earn nice revenue on for several more months. And then they do the you know the retention and that's why they can offer that 50%, right? Because they know like you've been thinking about canceling, you haven't and it's gone on for a while. And now you get to this point and like they'll offer you that discount. And there's enough people like you who are in that category that they can do that with. Versus actually just put it online and make it easy to click it off in two seconds. It'll be interesting to see when the next time is that the market is focused on ARR as like multiples of ARR as the real because, you know, I, I wonder if that goes away for a long time and everybody's free. Yeah, I do think so. Look, you've seen, like, by the way, the other thing that's happened recently, and we can use this as segue into Twitter and like whatever's going on in Elon's head, uh, the VCs have turned on this. I mean, look at what Bravo has been tweeting. Uh, you know, the top, uh, the top hedge fund managers have turned on it. Like, low, girly. Yeah, I mean, like, but like the, the perma bears in VC land, the guys who are older and made their money, right? And by the way, and people have to always remember this. Like there's just a skew to this with a lot of these, with a lot of them. Uh, anyone who, who, who caught the cycle early, right? Like, and like they're retired, like, you know, they're more focused on politics or their, their, their coins or whatever it is they're doing or the charity, right? They like coming out and being like, this is crazy, right? Because I mean, to to really from a legacy standpoint to really establish that like you were so unique and you're not attributing something like a significant component to luck right in where you were at the time you did what you did uh you can't have a market like this one like that we just had right and be like uh you know people are making more money in 18 months than you did you know, riding the cycle for, for nearly 20 years, right? I mean, in some cases. So, like, it was no surprise that you had, there was a subset of them who were willing to be very critical. Uh, so not none of them really wanted to come out and say, get the fuck out, <laughs> okay? But uh, who, who last year were like, hey, it's, you know, you may think you're smart, but uh, you're really not. <laughs> You know, things are things are overheated to an extent. And I mean, there's some. I mean, like some of those guys who who, who called that out. Uh, you know, I like right. What's his name from uh, the original? Sack, uh, Chris Saka was in there. Chris, Chris Saka. Saka, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm a fan of him. And you know, he 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 kept it simple like that. Like you ain't that smart, right? Like, uh, but there's others who've just been like you know more focused on it who like you know Rabois, who's also incredibly smart 
you know, and essentially moved to Miami, <laughs> the Miami trend, right? Like he's been in the, you know, this is a, like, you know, but also making a macro call, right? Not so much that there's just been excess in our industry. Bill Gurley had, you know, I used it in the original in Vitae, like his, his uh, quote on uh, revenue multiples, the revenue is not what it would, what did he say exactly? Uh, not all, not all revenues created equal that one or it was, it was something to that effect. I think uh, no, this was, this was in like, we were a time period Uber. We've been living in the illusion that revenue and growth equals success. Even the press goes for it. Right. So he called it an illusion and then like, you know, pipe down and then he spent most of his time focused on direct uh, uh, mispricing of IPOs. <laughs> that was his, uh, that was his next thing after. Uh, He's after been quiet, quieter about that, I think. Yeah. I, and then like he came back just recently with, you know, his, this was, uh, this is, this is a bubble. This is how, you know, he basically gave this Don Draper speech from the end of season one. Don't look back. This never happened. This never happened. And you, and you've seen that also, like there's been other people who've been like, uh, you know, just the fact that it's fallen doesn't make it cheap. Don't don't equate the two. Right. So just said that today. Yeah. Yeah. And he, look, kudos to him that he's done a fantastic job in, uh, in, in pivoting. I mean, that's the thing at the end of the day about a generalist investor, because some people will be like, oh, you know, you said this, you said that. It's like, well, I mean, he got out of Upstart, <laughs> like, he, you know, he got out of Sentinel One, uh, I think notably, and he, uh, you know, he's buying energy stocks again. Like, this isn't new day. He's been doing this for 20 years, right? I mean, and they're a rep as a firm, like, they've typically done boring activist stuff, right? I mean, like, it's easy for them to basically be like, hey, Disney, you know, you need to do this to become Netflix multiple. Netflix multiple is gone. He's moved on, right? Like, uh, that's like when you're running money at, uh, you know, at that scale and you've been doing it that long. Like, I, you know, I started writing something about peer pressure, right? I call it the peer pressure market. I haven't finished it yet. But like, there's just been so many examples, right? Of like, I mean, Howard Marks, you know, has written some of the best pieces on uh, investor behavior you know, dating back to the bubble. And then when he wrote the, the January uh, 2021 piece where he's like, I've been hanging out with my son a lot because COVID and I'm starting to rethink this whole thing, right? Like that like value and growth can't be truly separated and that we've overemphasized this. And there are certain companies where you just have to accept it if you want to be involved. And the trick is not selling, Right. And holding, and that's because his son's been like a, I think he's been a big fintech guy, Square and and others, right? So no surprise that that's what you'd be thinking then. Uh, uh, what Grantham did some fantastic podcasts early on, but like he also was like, hey, I'm long QuantumScape, right? Of course, he's been very transparent about it, right? So like he's he's like, I invested in this a while. I didn't expect this to happen. You know, we were we were interested in the technology early on and. Uh, this is where we're at today in SPAC mania. And like, he was comparing that to his experience, right? Like he's lived through it uh, back in the, in, in the late sixties. And I've, I've discussed that market extensively. You know, I covered it in once upon a time in tech. Uh, but I mean, now what's his name? The real vision guy now with crypto. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've always liked his interviews. Like it's always been the kind of this like sense, sensible grounded and, you know, I even was like, what is he doing last year? I didn't even know, by the way, all the Luna stuff with that, right? I just remember him tweeting that I'm irresponsibly long Ethereum. It's going to 10,000. And I was like, what? Like, I mean, I can, I can imagine, like, from a business model standpoint, uh, for what he's doing, that, like, the audience matters, right? And uh, he bought audience in crypto, right, with that, which... You can sit there, but like you also like that's something that you have to be more critical of, right? And then like his head of research has been like the Luna champion, and you know Novogratz getting the lunatic tattoo. Yeah. Uh, uh, the you know, Einhorn highlighting Fubu, which by the way they made a killing on, right? 
but like what like why did you highlight it you know you highlighted this thought that like uh you know rich greenfield and several hedge funds and uh uh, uh andrew and hedge eyes fantastic yeah. right like have come after right like th- like everyone's come after it like why point it out <laughs> you know considering your reputation you just say hey we made money here it's great it was free money you know that's that's how compound called it like hey i'm going to take the free money uh but like when i've been the guy who's been calling netflix uh, a bubble and you know the fighting with elon musk and talking about the excesses and i'm like a hardcore value guy and by the way the performance has been like why marry, like, why feel the need to be like, hey, you know, we've done some crossover investing as well, right? Even though we're bears. And uh, here's one we liked. And then be like, if Giannis Kintetimpo is taking a free throw, you know, the opportunity for engagement on betting whether or not he's with a micro bet and he's going to miss it. You're like, are you serious? <laughs> like, how did you stick that in a green light letter? Uh so, and I mean, the important thing here, by the way, is that they are so successful. They have done it for a very long time, right? And they are so accomplished. They have the luxury of actually being stubborn fucks, right? Pardon my language. And not succumbing to the peer pressure. That's them, right? So, like, that tells you how powerful it was. Because these people are at a, a point, career-wise, wealth-wise, professionally-wise, they don't need to dance, you know? Like, they can be like Munger, okay, and Buffett. Yeah. And, and, like, you know, be called the sociopathic grandpa, right? And uh, be criticized by the other end of the extreme for, for not embracing this stuff, right? Just because they continue to do things in a... You know, let's call it a very risk-averse manner, right? And that's the story with, I mean, I, like, the, they've had the luxury of expressing those opinions, and, and they've run Berkshire in a way. I mean, they've gotten this in the past in the 90s. They've had it several times, right? Yeah, yeah. He does not want to dump his cash until, like, it's pretty clear, you know, he's buying a slice of the economy, right? A, a productive asset, and that, like, he's, that he can sens- sensibly conclude, uh, He'll compound at the price he pays. That's it. He's not playing. He does. He's not playing on multiple expansion. He's not playing on anything else. And he's always going to keep, uh, you know, that buffer there, right? So, like, that's because he is not trying to show that he's in stuff that can 10x, right? In two years or three, doesn't care, right? Like, he literally shifted for like the minute that he was able to shift away from that in the seventies from the aggressive trading, you know, that let's call it the, uh, attracting capital. Yeah. <laughs> Event driven. Like yeah. once he, like, you know, you call it like he got to a point where he had a large enough nut, uh, like he just completely shifted his investment style because like it suits his personality. Like who would think that he wants to be sitting here doing the same thing for the next 50 years. Right. And the fact that they ended up having that personality where they're sitting there at, you know, 90 plus years old, 98 or whatever Munger is now and talking about this stuff and hosting it and still discussing what's going on, you know, tells you like that's like they, they had an investment style that matched the level of patience they have. And like that's afforded them the opportunity at, at times to, to come out like, you know, just recently. And just be like, I like, see, I'm not gonna buy any Bitcoin. What are and, he, and like, if you look at his argument, like, he had a good argument, right? He's like, it's not productive, uh, and you know, like, I buy the farmland, I buy the real estate, but what am I gonna do with this? Who am I gonna sell it to at some point, right? Like, that's what he, he was asking, essentially speaking. He's like, if he woke up one day and he didn't sell it, who's he selling it to? And like. It, his assumption is like, I essentially need to buy it before everybody else buys it. And then I'm going to turn around and sell it. Who am I selling it to? Right. So I, like, I need to kind of something like kind of pick that. And he's not like, he has no desire to be, you know, to buy something that he thinks is going to go 10 and a hundred X because he's pretty much seen the history that like 
<laughs> that's just it's impossible to predict. Number one, uh, and number two, like he's he's literally built his entire model about being able to outlast you with his patience. Right, like that's he's the last guy. He gets the best price. Like anytime there's a crisis, right? Uh, because he foregoes opportunities when you know the money is easy. So I just think it's interesting. This is like we end up back in the same place with like the the only person or only persons willing to to remain as stubborn and not and and look, their fun bought some snowflake. Right. I mean, the Ted's like they could I'm sure they knew better, right? Warren and, and Munger in terms of uh, the entry price point, but they were even willing to do a deal there. Uh, but they were willing to, you know, they get to stick to their guns. They, they felt no need to be like, you know, maybe we're wrong. Or maybe we're too old. Well, it's just and, uh, disconnected from all of this it's funny that as rich as rich and successful as all of these names are that we still like you said that sort of peer pressure that high school dynamic that fitting in and you know to the point of Loeb at some point having laser eyes or whatever it was on twitter and just you know and some of it is fine like some of it is fooling around it's fun dude like i mean like that's why you end up buying a grimes nft right like after like you hop on a hop on a twitter space and you know, you're, you're, you're like, get talked into doing something, you know, is silly uh, in 10 minutes. <laughs> because it is, it is 100% more fun than being like, uh, you don't want to buy this crap and like, you know, have like a, a 10 to 15% IR assumption for the high growth stuff. As I push push the glasses up the bridge of my nose. Wow, you don't want to buy this. Yeah. Thank you for listening to The Razor's Edge. Subscribe to this wherever you get your podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter at at Daniel Shortman and at Akram's Razor with suggestions, requests, or anything else. We aim to publish this every Tuesday morning and love to hear from you. If you can share this with a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd really be grateful, as that will help the podcast grow and improve. This has been a Short Man Studios production. Our theme song is Move On by Soquel. Thank you for listening, and see you next week.